You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, everyone. This is the Ask Annie podcast, Horse Girl reviews on products you use. This episode is brought to you by Behringer Ingelheim. Horses are living, breathing works of art, and caring for them requires an entire team. Veterinarians, farriers, trainers, riders, and grooms. Behringer Ingelheim is proud to help provide tools to help the team keep them performing at their peak. Well, I'm excited to welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Steve Grubbs. Dr. Grubbs is the equine technical manager at Berringer Ingelheim. Dr. Grubbs attended Ross University and the University of Tennessee. He went on to work for 11 years in private practice before returning to graduate school and obtaining a PhD in comparative and experimental medicine with an emphasis on virology and immunology. Dr. Grubbs now continues his research with BI in areas such as PPID and equine respiratory disease. Dr. Grubbs joined me this past May to discuss equine asthma on episode 73 and is now back to discuss his other research focus, PPID. Thank you for being on the podcast again, Dr. Grubbs. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed the last time, so. Yeah, me too. So the last time you were on, we talked about equine asthma and what horse owners can do to manage a horse that may be prone to respiratory issues. This week, we're talking about another ailment, PPID. Can you give us the rundown on what PPID is? Yeah. Uh, and, I, I, you know, the, probably the easiest thing to to kind of, you know, we use these acronyms all the time and it's just an abbreviation PPID. So I think probably the first thing would say is, uh, you know, what is PPID? What's it stand for? And so uh, it's really those initials say everything there is about the disease. And uh, uh, so PPID stands for pituitary, pars, intermedia, dysfunction. That's why we say PPID, right? And so who wants to repeat that a lot? But in, it, it, but the disease itself is a, a disease or a dysfunction, that's what the D stands for, dysfunction, of the pituitary. And what part of the pituitary is the pars intermedia. And so intermedia kind of means middle, okay? So it's a middle, it's a small part of, of the pituitary but it can be a big issue for horses. And so even though it's a small little piece of tissue, it results in some big things. And so uh, so we, we say, what is it? And it's really a um, pituitary is really is responsible for regulation of a lot of the body's hormones. OK, and the pars intermedia normally doesn't do a lot. And um, so, in essence, we lose what's uh, the dis- dysfunction is from higher in the brain. We lose some control uh, on the pars intermedia because we have a decrease in the neurotransmitter. This verse gets deep, called dopamine. And so, when that happens, then our when we lose that dopamine. Uh, to that effect on the pars intermedia, really what happens is the pars intermedia kind of wakes up because the dopamine kind of keeps it quiet. So so when we decrease that dopamine, it wakes up. And so now we get an overproduction of these hormones, and then we start seeing the clinical signs. So in a nutshell, that's it. There's a whole lot right there. but uh, and And so a lot of times 
we'll hear the term uh, Cushing's, okay? And PPID, the term itself was around before Cushing's. Uh, Cushing's is kind of a human disease. We see it in dogs. It's different, okay? It's a different disease in horses. And so you'll hear it called equine Cushing's disease. People just short for Cushing's. I think that came around because who wants to say pituitary parts intermediate dysfunction? Cushing's is a lot easier, right? And so the problem with Cushing's, um, with just saying that, uh, and I have no problem with the horse owner because, and Beth's talking about Cushing's, but I think where we need to really be careful when we're talking about Cushing's or reading something out on the internet that's caused, that's, that's discusses Cushing's, are they talking about PPID or are they talking about another syndrome we see in horses and a lot of times we'll see them both in the same horse called equine metabolic syndrome and that's something completely different so i think that is a something we really need to make sure when we're just using the term cushing's because i've seen it used both ways so i think it can be a little confusing that way and so um that's why i kind of stick with ppid because i know exactly which disease i'm talking about that definitely makes sense what horses are more prone to PPID? Okay, and probably um, the biggest, the largest risk factor for PPID is increasing age that we know of, okay? We want to think of breeds and that sort of thing, but right now, uh, there may be some more breeds. We may see it a little bit more, but can we really call it a higher risk? And I, I can give you one real clear example. We've done a lot of clinical research on, on uh, PPID. I almost said it myself, uh, but on PPID for quite a few years now. And, you know, probably the first, I'm going to say 3,000 horses tested. Uh, we had over 66 different breeds that were PPID positive. And so, we may see some that might be a little more prone, but it's hard to say. So really, it's increasing age is probably where we are at that point. Interesting. And why is PPID such an issue in aging horses? Okay. And I think probably many reasons, okay? But I think one uh, that I'm going to probably two things because we look at our clinical signs okay when you start looking at clinical signs of horses and um probably the probably the most predictive or most common clinical signs that people will i guess uh tag on to ppid will be one will be uh some hair changes and it's really delayed shedding compared to the other horses in the barn Okay, and it's a little bit different. And sometimes that delayed shedding can be in a regional area. It can be minimal. It can be along the jugular groove on the side of the neck, maybe somewhere else. And the rest of the body has shed off well, but these areas didn't. Sometimes it'll be a regional where that horse just doesn't shed out at all. And then it'll get to where horses don't shed at all. Okay, that's really advanced. So what I really almost discussed was early clinical signs to a compared to an advanced horse. Now, other things, we may see some what we call immunosuppression. Their immune system may be a little bit suppressed. So they're a little bit more, they may be more prone to certain uh, uh, 
bacterial infections, certain infections. So, you know, they may have more skin infections that are harder to deal with. You know, there's lameness issues that are associated with PPID. Uh, we may have some muscle loss with PPID. Okay. It usually stop, starts early, like right along the top line of the horse and then over time as it progresses it can it can get more generalized you know back over the rear end that sort of things we'll see it one other thing we'll see is these horses may be uh, a little bit lethargic and you know kind of one of the stories we hear a lot of time you know people talk about well he's 15 or 16 or 17 he's just an old horse uh, because he's just a little bit lethargic and it's kind of like you know that's not really an old horse and and they'll say well he makes a great grandkids horse we put the grandkids on it and he'll just go around the yard and just hang out and do whatever well we die and this is one something if when they start treating one of these horses and we'll talk about that later i'm sure if we start treating one of these horses they'll start to feel better and they'll get back to their old self so it's not really a grandkids horse anymore so it's it's not the treatment that's making them like that but they're feeling better they look more like they used to Okay, and so there's a lot of associated conditions that go along with it that's, uh, you know, that, that belong with PPID. Some of these horses may not sweat as much, some, okay, and uh, so they're just, there's, uh, I've kind of talked about, you know, a handful. There, there's a handful of clinical signs that go along with it, so I think it comes back to, you know, what are we doing with this horse and how can we help this horse? So I think it's a, it's a big issue, you know, in that respect. Definitely. And obviously we can't prevent aging, but can PPID be prevented? In a nutshell, the short answer to that would be no, not really. Okay. No, we, we can't. I think what we, we understand what to do is probably understand and learn how to recognize it. Okay. Because that's, uh, I think that's where we've come so far in the last, you know, years uh, of understanding early uh you know horses and that sort of thing instead of waiting till the horse looks like a you know a woolly mammoth or something like that then we're we're really behind the eight ball not completely but we've got a lot more work to ahead of us so i think early recognition and i think you know folks you know understanding what these horses look like that's the first thing is we got to recognize them we you mentioned a, a couple of them but what is a what is a checklist that horse owners um can recognize in their horses if they have ppid yeah and i think probably nobody knows that horse better than the horse owner right nobody sees it as much and because as a veterinarian i might see that horse once sometimes you see it once a month but sometimes it's once a year sometimes it's a couple of times a year so nobody knows it better than the horse owner so i think attitude is one you know has the horse become just a little bit uh, maybe a little bit lethargic, something like that. Did this horse not shed out according, if you've got three or four horses, you know, everybody else shed out really well. And for whatever, you know, then this horse just didn't, maybe in some other areas. And it may not be as noticeable. That that may be easy. That's easy to say, but it's, but, and I'll, I'll give you an example if, it, if it's okay. Um, because, you know, in practice, when, a lot of times in the, in the spring, everybody wants you to come vaccinate horses and do everything, you know, their yearlies and things like just to say you're in May and uh, but, but they say, OK, come after I get off work. So it's six or seven o'clock. You show up and you're and they've got all six or seven horses lined up out there tied up and you you uh, go up and six of the horses are just as shed out and as slick as they can be. Another horse, they're standing there curving it, just wasting time till you get there because bets, you know, we're usually late. And so we. We, uh, 
you know, they're sitting there currying it. Well, when I was early in practice, you know, I could probably kick myself because I don't know how many times I walked by that and didn't even think about PPID. Didn't even consider it, but not now, you know. And so I think those are just an example of, of folks that when they're in there, and they're going to do things with their horses, that's probably one of the first things they'll see. Uh, and then, uh, you know, a, another checklist, has my horse for some odd reason uh, not, um, you know, be- becoming, I'm getting a few more infections, you know, more skin infections. I'm fighting this during the wintertime. You know, horses always get a little bit occasionally. I don't say always, but a lot. But if I get one that I just can't, and so now do I have some sort of immune suppression? Is my horse having a little more, you know, things like that, skin problems or something, a little more than than I would think it, it would be normal. And sometimes you have to sit back and think about that, that it happens. Because as a veterinarian, I, w- I might not notice that when I'm coming out. I wouldn't know that piece of history. Then, you know, it's a little bit of loss of top-line muscle. You know, slow loss is hard to see, but if you just sit back one day and look at your horse, and look at that and say, you know, that's saddle isn't fitting right, pad something, it is a little bit different. So now I've got to think about that. If I got some weird lameness thing, and one weird thing that we'll see is they'll have what we call tendon laxity. Okay, it'll just happen, just standing out there. If it's a performance horse, we can see, uh, you know, some suspensory problems, which is, you know, the lameness issues. Um, some of these horses may have, and a lot of horses do this for a lot of different reasons. So exercise intolerance, you know, and then do I have, is my horse, you know, and I'm not, we're not talking about 25 year old horses, you know, we're seeing more and more of these horses, you know, from 10 on occasionally we'll get horses that are less than 10, not that common, less than 10, pretty uncommon. But when you start, we're seeing, we're recognizing more and more horses that aren't these older horses so it's not just an old horse disease and so uh so yeah i mean i think that's the biggest checklist is to kind of just watch some of the changes of the horse muscle hair um you know any lameness things and you know an unexplained uh laminitis or founder okay and that's a bigger picture and that's one of the big things kind of back to your other question a little bit earlier we kind of mentioned being you know, a problem because that's a problem you know laminitis or founder that's huge problems we can manage the hair not shedding and that sort of thing so laminitis we always want to try and be or founder we want to be in front of that and not behind it treating the cause we want to try and get that horse in shape to where we're not having to deal with that or at least minimize it and I thought that was really interesting what you said about seeing few cases, but still some cases in younger horses, um, because I have a senior mare. Um, she's 23 and she was just diagnosed with early signs of insulin resistance. Does a horse with insulin resistance develop into PPID and what is the difference and or how are they similar? Okay. That's it. I mean, that's a that's a big question. So we're going to kind of tackle it from a kind of a high level somewhat answer. But uh, um, but back to the first part of it. Does a horse with insulin resistant develop into PPID? Uh, yes, they can. Okay. Do they all? No. Okay. Uh, do we have a good way to identify that at this point? If they're going to or not? No, we don't. Okay. Are some people trying to look at the genetics of this and looking at other people? Yes, 
because that is a to me that is a uh, very important piece of this puzzle because as with your horse you're going to take your horse and you're going to manage that insulin resistance you're going to do that with and i don't know anything about your horse but probably weight loss probably uh, a diet change and probably some management things there okay and we're getting real high level and so but you're going to make those changes so so sometimes when these horses we call if they have insulin resistance and then they become ppid we call that converging so now they're converging to PPID. Now, they'll still be insulin resistant, okay? But now they have this. So what, what we'll see sometimes, and again, I'm not describing your horse because I've never seen it. But what we've seen, what I've seen in the past, we'll see some of these horses that they'll be a little overweight or something, might have a little crusty neck. Uh, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't. But if they do, then if we pull that weight off of them, then they get to looking you know, they get to kind of where we want them to, uh, their insulin levels come down. And so, uh, everything's going along really well. Then all of a sudden they lose a little bit more weight and we're not really trying to, well, what happens there sometimes is they're losing muscle mass. And so we have to watch that muscle mass to make sure they don't start losing it. And that's one of the things we see with PPID and when they converge, sometimes one of the first clinical signs we'll see is, uh, laminitis if they converge to PPID because now you got a horse with both they're at a little higher they're at a higher risk of uh of having of having laminitis not to scare anybody and not to scare you any but uh but uh to, to, you know to think about that you know how can, can you really change it or prevent it no but what we'll have some folks do is uh, you know once that horse let's just say the horse was diagnosed with insulin resistance and let's just say it was eight or nine then when that horse gets to 10 years of age, I would do a baseline ACTH. That's how we kind of evaluate one of the hormones for PPID. That's one of them that we evaluate. And so I would probably just go ahead and do a baseline on that one to make sure, you know, once a year and then do it the next year. And then you can see if it's starting to creep up on you because sometimes that's what will happen. It'll just kind of creep up, creep up, and then bam, you know, then it goes up. And so, uh but but many of those horses do not, and we don't have a number or a percent that do. You know, we, we don't know that, and I think that's something we, we need to understand more of, and I think we're kind of working at, at that also to try and understand that. Uh, second part of your question is what's the difference, and then how are they similar? Well, they both can have a – can result in an increased risk of laminitis, Right. And but then when I OK, I'm look and um, how are they similar? They can both be in this uh, one horse can have both. Right. They don't have to, but they can. And uh, the differences. And. I'm going to talk more about uh, first the clinical differences. OK, clinically. And I'm talking about the typical horse. There's everything away from typical. But the typical horse, let's talk about insulin resistance. And I'm going to relate that to what, uh, what we call equine metabolic syndrome. Okay. And those horses typically have some degree. Some of them can be overweight. They don't have to be, but some of them can be. And not and I'll note this or note this, not every not every overweight horse has insulin resistance. Okay. So that throws another inch into it. But that's why we like that's why we can do some blood work because we can sort that out. But let's just say EMS, you can kind of picture this, a horse that may not be 
I've heard it put in some places. It may be too fat in some places and too thin in others. May, meaning, you might have a little bit of a crusty neck, maybe a little bit of fat over the uh, withers, maybe not, maybe over the tail head a little bit, and then maybe the inguinal areas. And then you can, and then from there, you can have a horse that's really overweight everywhere or something kind of in between. So I think about those two, we call them phenotypes, kind of what the horses look like, you know. And so we look at those clinically. The typical PPID horse will uh, normally, uh, the, the typical one, will have a little bit of muscle loss, maybe a little hair changes. We don't necessarily see those hair changes with EMS, okay? But with, but with PPID horses, we'll see a little muscle loss. We'll see the hair changes. We don't see the hair changes with uh, metabolic horses. Um, we don't really see the immunosuppression in um, uh, EMS horses. And then, but the one thing that they'll have in common and is we'll have horses that are uh, EMS and PPID or PPID and with insulin resistance, that their insulin uh, or that their laminitis risk goes up over three times, you know, when they have both. So their risk goes up with that. So that's why either one of those, when we're, you know, looking at these horses, we want to make sure, first of all, clinically and sometimes when horses have both clinical signs then we need to we always test for both diseases when we're doing it at a minimum okay so then we can rule one out and if they have one or we can okay they have both so now we have to manage those horses probably a little different if they have both compared to one or the other so yeah it's it's not as complicated but it takes a little bit of uh, not detective work but maybe a little bit you know, to kind of sort these out. Yeah, and, and just like the um, equine asthma episode, it definitely sounds like management and treatment are the, the best options. Um, and BI offers percent for horses to help control the clinical signs associated with PPID. What are some key components of percent that make it val a valuable option for horses with PPID? Okay, and before I answer that question, something you just said about the management. And I think that's something when we're when we're looking at these horses, and I'm in it. You know, I, I discussed. I'm not going to get really into any depth at all, but you know, we're going to look at these horses' clinical signs, and if they have the clinical signs and a history of, let's just say PPID or EMS, either one, then I'm, then I think we 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 actually uh, want to you know look at some lab work because the lab work itself helps us helps us sort out: do we have one or the other? Do we have both? And with that lab work, we really want to diagnose the whole horse. I don't want to just focus on the pituitary itself, right? And so now if we jump to management, just like you, you mentioned, we want to manage the whole horse. We don't want to just manage the pituitary. We don't want to, because if we want to manage these, we want to manage the diet. Because the diet may, will be different if the horse is only PPID versus a horse that has uh, insulin resistance. Okay. And so one thing before I answer the preceding question, let me get back to the insulin resistance. Cause one thing I really didn't mention there that I think is very, uh, these are very intertwined. They can be separate. These two, uh, uh, issues or syndromes in horses, uh, diseases that they are intertwined, 
But insulin resistance itself, why we are so concerned about it is when we talked about the phenotype, right? They either have that regional adiposity, cresting neck sort of thing, or they can be overweight. And then if their insulin levels, when we test them, are elevated, then that elevated insulin level has shown that those horses are at a higher risk of laminitis, okay? And obviously, the higher the level, obviously, the higher the risk. Now, but there's different risks for different horses. So it's not like, okay, if my insulin's over this, then the risk is it's going to get laminitis. Or if it's less than this, it won't. It's, it's not really that way. But when it starts getting really high, we know that that risk for laminitis goes up. And if we can decrease those levels of insulin, then um, that, you know, then that's really what we want to do to minimize that risk of laminitis in these insulin resistant horses. Now, we talk about, you mentioned about percent. Well, percent is a, uh, is used, percent is pergolide, pergolide tablets is, uh, it's, it's labeled for to control the clinical signs or manage the clinical signs of horses with PPID, okay? Not for, you know, not for EMS, right? That's, that's, that'll be different, right? And so, um, and, you know, how does it, how is it really a, a good option? Well, back to what we said, what is PPID? And in an essence, you know, we said we've got, because of that lack of dopamine, uh, here we're getting a little bit deep, but that lack of dopamine, and now we've gotten the pars intermedia that is normally quiet. Well, if we've got that lack of dopamine, now it's really, really uh, uh, hyperactive, right? It's producing a lot of hormones. So what we're doing with Percend is Percend pergolide will bind to the same spots to where that dopamine would have bound now we're trying to quieten that pituitary down and as we do that our clinical signs uh should improve that's what we're looking at right there and so it you know it's kind of it would be i would uh it's a drug of choice you know it really is and pergolide has always been a drug of choice for this and uh you know for what with what we have out there right now and so um you know, I think that is, you know, kind of where you come in with the, you know, with the option of treating these PPID horses because the, the insulin resistant horses, we're going to manage those differently. Yeah. What makes a horse a good candidate for percent? Right. And I think first, first and foremost, um, and, it, and it's really um, uh, the simple answer is a horse with clinical signs and abnormal lab work because that's where we're looking, right? We've got it. We've got a good diagnosis. And now we, you know, we start, you know, we're starting with percent. And so um, what we usually tell folks when, you know, we start percent kind of what to look for. And I think what you start seeing the horse should, instead of that lethargic kind of horse, you know, in the first month, you know, we'll, we'll, those horses should look better. They should feel a little bit better. Their eyes should look a little bit better. They're, you know, they've, they've kind of woken up a little bit. Okay. And then uh, if they've got those hair changes, usually those take a little longer and it depends on the severity. You know, it can take two, three, four months sometimes for those changes to really uh, show a huge improvement there. Muscle mass would be would be pretty much the same thing. One thing I didn't talk about with some of these uh, PPID horses, 
that we'll see in a, a quick improvement on some of these horses with PPID, not all, but some, they'll have a, uh, they'll ink, they'll drink more water. And then obviously they'll urinate a lot. You may not notice that if they're out in a, in a pasture all the time, but if you're in a stall, I've walked into a lot of stalls and if the horses weren't messy, sloshing their water around everywhere, you can feel it under your feet when you're walking and you can smell it too, because you know, horse owners are just killing themselves trying to clean the stall. And so that PUPD really responds within probably the first month, you know, and then other, other signs take a little bit more time from there. And so, um, and we always tell people, uh, you know, if they go on for sand or pergolide, right, then one thing to kind of, to note, and we've seen it because we've, we've been out there for, t- uh, 11 years now, I think. Yeah. No, 12, 12 years been out. And probably if anybody calls and asks us a question about percent after the horse has been on it, we'll see occasional horse that will uh, have a decreased appetite because there's a lot of changes going on, right? We're decreasing certain hormones and we're doing some changes. And usually that's early, early after they start taking uh, the, the product or percent. And so what we'll usually tell folks is, you know, speak through a veterinarian because most veterinarians have been using this product now for quite a while. And so if they go on it and they have a little bit of decreased appetite, then sometimes what we'll need to do is, decrease the dosage, get them back to eating full feed for a while, and then just increase them right back up. Most of these horses resolve and we just kind of move on. But it is one of those things. Uh, it's usually a temporary sort of thing. But uh, I usually tell folks to do that because they'll probably notice it and to call us. And then we can, you know, kind of work through that because it's usually simple. But it is something that's, I won't say common, but I'm going to say a little over, you know, out of 10 horses, you're going to get that somewhere between two and three horses that may do that you know, and uh, out of 10. So probably, you know, 20, 20%, something like that. Interesting. So if a listener thinks thinks that their horse might have PPID, what sort of questions should they ask their veterinarian? Yeah. And I I think probably the first thing is if they think their horse may, the first thing I'm going to think of um, is, you know, what I'm going to write these down too. You know, I think it's important for horse owners occasionally so they don't forget. You know, if they think of something and say, you know, my horse did have a skin infection this winter, this past winter that took a long time to get over. I had to treat it two or three different ways. It was a little different. And then the spring, it didn't shed out till till later, but it did shed out, you know, but it was much later than my other horses. So, you know, little things that we notice that are like that, or it is drinking a lot of water and urinating a lot. And so, uh, you know, the little things, you know, and then is my horse acting you know, is it a little bit lethargic? And just because it's 16 or 17 or even 14, that's not an old horse, right? Has it changed somehow that way? You know, has something changed over the back line? So I think those are some of the questions. And then asking the veterinarian, you know, to come out, take a look at the horse. What should we do, right? And uh, should we test this horse? Because they'll do a physical exam. They'll listen to your history and then decide whether the horse, you know, should be tested. And, uh, at that time. And, and, uh, so yeah, I think that's, I think that's step one. And then, uh, kind of look at your results because occasionally we'll get back results. You'll get a horse that it just looks at you and it's got, it says I'm a PPID horse and this blood work comes back normal. That happens sometimes. And so then we have to go, then we'll come back, uh, and sometimes we'll come back and and uh, we'll do a different type of assay. It takes about 10 minutes. It's simple. It's easy. It's not that expensive. But we have to re, uh, 
look at it in a little different way. It's a little more sensitive test that we don't really do all the time because in, in a lot of horses, we don't need to. But occasionally we'll have to come back and do that. So and then if your horses are really early signs and it comes back, sometimes we'll just start out with that test or there's nothing wrong if we go, you know, if we wait and the horse doesn't have much in the way of clinical signs. And, you know, sometimes we'll just test it six months later or a year later and see, you know, or unless something changes to where we need to test it sooner. And so, yeah. There's uh, obviously a lot of questions, you know, about that. And uh, um, and I think it's, you know, the more interested, you know, and the more educated. And because as veterinarians, we're going to depend on the horse owner, right? Because we're going to ask them questions, too, you know. And so I think anytime they note something, kind of write it down, jot it down. Because we've got iPads or phones. We can put note sections on our horse and what things have changed or didn't change. And, uh, you know, just some little differences and don't, and, and this is probably one thing that I would say to horse owners too, is don't just think it's an old horse. You know, even if it's 20, I mean, there are so many horses out there that are 15, 20, 25 that are performing at a really high level and really doing, all, you know, very, and, and if something changes, I mean, I've seen horses that were 16 or 17, they said, ah, he's like that. He's just an old horse. It's like, yeah, let's rethink that thought just a little bit because it's amazing how uh some of these horses you know we can turn around but again it takes diagnosing the whole horse and managing the whole horse and when we look into that your farrier is so important to help the horse owner and the veterinarian uh key us into things that are going on because they're looking at the foot they're really focusing on the foot and a lot of farriers now are thinking about PPID whole horse sort of approach. So, you know, instead of what's going on in the foot, they're looking at the foot and they see something that pings them. They sit back and look at the horse and the bed hadn't been out there in eight months. And then they'll talk to the horse owner and say, look, you know, these things kind of match up. You might want to get your horse checked or something. So I think a lot of folks are, you know, kind of taking the team approach to work together because it really, really helps because there's little things that we all see that, or that some of us see that others miss and some of the uh, other folks see that, we miss, you know, so it's good. Tying that back into what you said earlier about the horse owner knowing the horse best, it's it's the same thing. So really just, yeah, relying on, on your own insights and then allowing your, your support team to help you, so. Yeah, and yeah, it, it really is because, uh, you know, and, and I think a lot of times, and I've said this for, for or I've thought this for a long time, with horses with what, whichever endocrine disease we're talking about, whether it's PPID, EMS, or whether has, a horse has PPID and IR, because, um, you know, we want to, um, if they have, you know, if the horse has both, you know, we can, you know, we can, we can manage those horses, right? And so, um, but I think everything helps when we all kind of, kind of work together, right? You know, the farrier. If you've got a nutritionist around that you can call, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, the horse owner and the veterinarian, you know, we all kind of have a part and we all kind of take the, you know, kind of a team approach to kind of work together. And then, you know, everybody benefits and most importantly, the horse benefits. Right. And so because it's amazing what that team of folks can kind of do. And it's probably not anything we don't do by ourselves but now putting that collective together i think it's is huge um and so it's um yeah 
these it's uh, a lot of these horses that you know we just need to, uh, to identify them and that's pretty much what we talk about is first we need to kind of educate ourselves and make sure that we can recognize some of these things or think about it and then once we do then we diagnose these horses and then once we're there then we, we're going to manage these and the thing about it when we get to management we talked about it you know percent is a very important part of that but it's not the only part right because if we have a horse with insulin resistance now we're looking at diets right you know what do we need to feed these horses if a horse doesn't have insulin resistance we may feed it differently and uh so you know and and so there's there's kind of things to work out so the blood work is important to do to help us sort that out so we can kind of understand where we need to go with with each type of these horses and um, like i said it's a puzzle uh but it's not that hard to put together you know we just kind of got to keep chipping away at it and stay with it and like you said you know the records keeping that and it never hurts for horse owners if they're keeping records on their horses because everybody loves to take pictures everybody can take a picture with everything they have right now you take a picture i guess with your watch you know but uh but you know I'd have horse owners take a picture of their horse twice a year because sometimes subtle changes, because sometimes horses, you know, their weight may not change, but their shape may change. And if their shape changes, what does that shape change to? Have we lost muscle mass? I'm thinking of PPID, uh, you know, that sort of thing, um, because we can, you know, that that's sometimes what we'll see. So they can take, they can write down and keep a record of what they're doing, what they're seeing, if they're seeing any changes and then a picture you know, twice a year, take it kind of in the same place, the same area uh, of the barn with the same lighting so from the same, just different angles and try and get the whole horse in the picture and to where you could, if you had to write a description and say, okay, this horse is pot belly, this horse is not pot belly, this horse is, you know, a decreased muscle over the top line. No, it doesn't. But if, because sometimes real, excuse me, subtle changes, that's the downside of being a horse owner, right? If subtle changes occur, over real slow you don't notice them they just become normal but if we take those pictures sometimes we look back and say oh you know it helps us and so i think pictures are huge because it helps us uh look at the shape of that horse because they'll, they'll change shape sometimes as we all do right you know as we all do over time horses are no different so yeah definitely well in episode 73 we touched on your drive for research and that you're not trying to go to the moon but to answer the intricate detail problems that horse owners face if you could solve one of these issues what would it be i think it'd be one that i think would yeah this was this has been on this question been on not this question but this answer the answer i have has been on the on my list for a, a, a few years now okay and it comes back to your horse let's bring it back to your horse the horse with insulin resistance we've got a horse that has high levels of insulin which uh depends on how high depends on the horse all right we said that but it it's it can be at a higher risk of of uh laminitis or founder with that now we can manage a lot of those uh, just most uh, many of those just by diet and exercise alone sometimes just changing that I mean it, it it's it, it's you know it's I'll just use the term sometimes it's not as rocket science as it sounds but sometimes it starts getting that way because sometimes we can't do that or we can help it but we can't get those insulin levels where we want to, to decrease that to me uh, what would a problem 
is like to have a product that I felt like that's out there on the market right now that really works to decrease insulin levels in horses. Because if we can do that, then I think we're going to be able to save a lot of horses and a lot of horse owners from the grief of laminitis. Okay. And to me, that would, that would be it. And, uh, uh, are we there yet? No. Are there some products out there that help? Yes. Uh, are they perfect? No. But are they good tools to use? Yes. Uh, can we improve? Yes. I think we can. And do I want to? Absolutely. You know, I can, I can talk about this forever, but this is, this is it for me because, uh, seen too many horses with laminitis and we all have, and we've heard kind of the, the, the stories and, um, but I'd just like to have something that, that kind of really focuses in on that, you know, to kind of minimize those insulin levels. We get that horse back to, to, you know, safe levels, normal levels, or at least lower that and minimize that risk. That's it for me. That's that's exactly what I want. That would be next next episode, right? We're going to be talking about. <laughs> I don't know. I have one by then or not? But hey, let's. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a to me it's a it's a it's a huge thing. Um, it's a huge thing. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any new products on the horizon from BI that listeners should be keeping an eye out for? Yeah, you asked me this one time, and I, my short answer was, "Yep." Yeah, there you are. But, you know, a lot of things when we're, when, when we're in development and working on those are, you know, you get start getting into proprietary um, information. But, you know, that's uh, but the short answer and the sure answer is, uh, yeah, there are, because that's the, the cool thing that I've enjoyed about BI, because they do that. And, you know, I don't know if you know this and this is not a I'm not making this commercial for BI, but I think it's important to understand this part. You know, BI is a family-owned company, and the family actually has horse farm. They have thoroughbreds, and so, and not just a couple, a lot, you know, and so they get it. And so that's one of the things I've really enjoyed about being here and knowing that I can, the question about, is there anything new that BI is working on that you should keep an eye out on for? I'm very, I feel very solid and very, um, it's easy, yes, to say. Because they're in it. That's not for, you know, they, they've got horses. So, yeah, it is. And so I'll be excited about that. I don't know. Hopefully, we'll, you and I will get to talk again. But I don't know if anything will be ready by then. It takes a little bit of time, right? It takes a little bit of time. But, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, and I think yeah. that as a horse owner, hearing that research is, is in production, I think that is just as good as something actually making it to market. So steps for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, takes work, takes time. You need to do it right, and uh, um, and so um, yeah. yeah, I'm excited about the next few years. I've you know it's kind of been that way since uh, been lucky to be here and uh, to, to do that. But again, these PPID, these EMS horses, I just tell folks to work with your veterinarian, uh, do the you know do the testing, do the exam, um, kind of understand what you have as a baseline, which type of horse you have, what do we need to do? Set out a plan, work on that plan, knowing it's not going to change overnight, but it'll probably be quicker than you 
think. You know, we just kind of got to stick with the plan and and uh, and kind of work with it. Whether it's you know, some of them will require pharmaceutical treatment, some of them will be the other. Diet sometimes is hard to to manage. You know, we talk about hay testing for horses with insulin resistance because you know we manage those horses with diet, and so we need to know we can't manage the diet. I, uh, someone. Uh, I won't say her name right now, has kind of taught me about diets and what are they made up of and hay. We talk about hay analysis. You know, if you can't, uh, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, meaning the diet. If we don't know what the guaranteed analysis is, if we don't know what our hay analysis is, uh, because we look at sugars and haze, you know, what we call non-structural carbs and that sort of thing. We look at those levels. And so we want to be able to kind of manage those because, you know, if we've got a horse with insulin resistance, the last thing we want to do is feed a lot of sugars, right? And so we want to get the lowest that we can. And it, we've got to know what we have. You can't look at hay and tell whether it has high sugars or, or low, right, or low carbs. You, you just you can't. We think we can, but we, we get fooled a lot. And so... Uh, so, yeah, I think this is an area that's growing. It's been growing for a lot of years, and I think it will continue to grow because there's so many people, you know, so interested in it. We're, we're seeing a lot of these horses. We're being able to help a lot of them. And I think, you know, as always, I think we, we can always do better, right? I think we can always do better. And uh, just, uh, you know, folks pitching in, a lot of research going on, and to try and understand, to be able to apply that out in the field, you know, to help these horses moving forward. And the horse owners. Thanks for tuning in. Learn more about the Ask Yanny podcast by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Ask Annie Podcast. Have a suggestion for a product you'd like me to use in an upcoming episode? Email me at askannypodcast at gmail.com or leave a comment on any of our social media pages. Find even more Ask Annie episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. The Ask Annie Podcast is a production of Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC.